0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Edge and Flow podcast. This is TJ Schwartz. I'm here with my co-host, Lucas Burnley. Today, we're, we're bringing to you a pretty cool topic, and that is why in the world did we name this podcast Edge and Flow? It's a little bit, I guess, cryptic, you might say. And so we thought it really uh, allowed for a nice conversation about what, uh, what that means. So, Lucas, do you remember the moment and the conversation that led to this name? I don't remember this specific
1: moment, but I remember, I remember the context of the conversation, which was just us going back and forth with, you know, probably like seeing as this is a, a, a knife centric podcast, at least at the outset, um, some names that kind of fit in. Um, but it was a comment that you had made about one of your working processes, which is this idea of reaching the edge. And as I was listening to you talk about that, it kind of put into stark contrast one of the things that I really try to work towards, which is essentially reaching flow state. Um, And I actually, I'm not sure if there's a comparison between the two at this point. And that's, I'm kind of excited to learn a little bit more about it just to see, are they similar or are they like completely opposite methods of working? So.
0: Yeah. You, you guys are, I mean, this is a conversation we haven't laid out a script. I mean, as with all of our conversations that you're going to hear on this podcast, like we only know tiny granules of what these two phrases mean to each other. And so we're going to explore them together and uh, take you along for the ride. Yeah. I'm
1: super curious. So being the edge is the first part of the name. Why don't you take it?
0: Yeah. So, so getting to the edge is kind of a phrase that I put together really early, maybe even before I set out on my career. And something that I've I've kind of enjoyed telling people when they ask about how I got started and what motivated me and stuff because I really was on a straight and narrow path and kind of just dove off into the, the middle of nowhere to most observers that is the knife industry, and uh, and what what that phrase means get to the edge is that well what I'll do is I'll paint a small metaphor for you so if you were to take like uh, some some paint an ounce of paint and and drop it onto a piece of white paper you'd get a splat right. And it would kind of just radiate out in varying distances all the way around. And the metaphor for me is that that represents the, the distances of human knowledge and understanding and creation into the unknown. And so in places like, let's say, cancer research, it would be one of those longest splats because so many thousands or millions and billions of man hours and dollars have been put into that far reaching aspect of human understanding And another, you know, one would be like space travel, you know, like, you know, billions, if not trillions of dollars invested in discovery on this front. And then in between those areas, there's areas that just they haven't been attacked with as much manpower or as much money or time as other areas. And what this metaphor means is like, for me, what I discovered with my creative passions and whatnot, is that the edge, which is the edge of the unknown where the paint meets the white paper that it doesn't matter really what I'm doing or, or what area in that metaphor I'm in. If I'm on the edge, I feel very alive. I feel very excited. It feels like things are happening. It feels like being on the frontier on the edge is, is something that, that is just exciting for me and fulfills me. And so what happened was I was on kind of a trajectory to go into like the car industry and designing cars and engineering. It was an engineering school and it was obvious that was one of the particularly long fingers of this human knowledge so it's like you have to travel along an established path for many years likely before you'll ever see the edge with a lot and of so, other
1: people also with right? yeah I mean, this is a huge machine that's moving forward
0: exactly exactly and so to be on the edge in some of these like highly developed parts of humanity and and just like our economy it just seemed like it would starve me from that feeling of being on the edge. And the knife industry caught my eye around this time because it felt like looking at the industry, like it had the size and and the economic value to like support a lifestyle and like support a family or a household or a business. But it also wasn't so enormous and so storied that like you could never find the edge or that you could never spend much time on the edge. And it just seemed like, almost immediately i was like well what if you did this with a knife and an example would be that no tool take apart knife the Zaneda, which i i was designing really early on one of the first knives i designed and it it just kind of occurred to me like i feel like i'm already on the edge when i kind of started to explore this like i could see the edge i could sense it i could feel towards it and it immediately made me want to abandon the car industry thing even though cars are a huge passion for me like getting to the edge became the focus. And the first time I really saw it in the real world, I had to be there. And All so right, I've, I've got,
1: I've got two questions for you surrounding okay. this. Okay. So ultimately was, was the Zenaida a like your, was that, was that driven by wanting to reach the edge or was it, After you had designed that, you kind of realized where that knife lay.
0: Um, It actually, it was an attempt to get to the edge. Okay. So you saw, you
1: were trying to do something that had not been done. You were looking for, yeah, you were looking for the way past the industry.
0: Um, Yeah.
1: Second part of the question is, at this point now, is that still your primary focus? Like, do you, when you work, do you th- think about how you can reach like the edge and does that transfer also into like processes or is it purely
0: design driven? So that, that brings up a question that I haven't really pondered too much, but I guess my answer to that would be, I spend some time trying to design beyond the edge, you know, uh, thoughtfully, Thoughtful innovation is important to me, not just like being new because it's new. I mean, some valleys in that big splat of paint are valleys for a reason, right? (laughs) Like cars with square wheels, like, no, we don't need them. Like you don't have to spend time. Uh, But, and so I, I don't always convict myself to just be on the edge designing at all times. But in another sense, in the scene of the knife industry, you can also be on the edge in the sphere of business model. And processes—it's
1: endless. So I mean, really,
0: yeah, it's 3D. It's not. Yeah. It's not 2D. And so for me, uh, using my shop in a way that feels new and different relative to the industry around me, and and just creating a business that's unique also has that same sensation of being on the edge. And so it's not just like a patentable product idea. It's also like execution can be on the edge. It's an well.
1: overall. It's an overall kind of
0: yeah, methodology for your
1: work writ large. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, even just thinking about like your website, like you brought out the Overland and within like a really short amount of time, you had had like a configurator built in to where people could like swap out handle colors and finishes and hardware. That's not super common. Right. You know, even that like minor thing is a push definitely shows kind of your thought process.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that plays right into it. Mm -hmm. And, and just the, the general concept of bringing manufacturing uh, principles and processes into a small shop, like into a one man shop and like really committing to that is kind of a a combination that I, that I've kind of tried to strive for. And I'll say like, I'm not claiming that this is like hundred percent new that I'm like, you know, this, this leader in business and this, like that I have the most innovative yeah, ideas. Understood. It, it, I guess I would just say that the sensation of at least looking for the edge, you know, that, right. trying well, to that unearth can be relative.
1: Things. I mean, that can be specific to you, right? You, I guess for me, when I hear like that, that concept, it, it does lend itself towards like a leadership position slash like being first, being the best, which I can honestly say I have never wanted to be like, my goal has never been to be first place. Right. I think Mm -hmm. they're two very different thought processes and I have a reason for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, For
1: you, does that, does that tie in? Like, is your goal to be ultimately be the
0: best in a given area? Um, I don't know if best is the right word. I think it's hard, right? One, one way I've described it though, to people is like, if, if the pursuit like this, like thirsty pursuit for like finding the edge, quote unquote, is if it seems like the getting to the edge is the goal and that I'm like unsatisfied by not being there yet or not spending enough time there, I guess what I would redirect that towards is like the satisfaction comes from looking for the edge from like getting there. And Mm -hmm. so like when I feel like I've found it or like I've turned a stone that hasn't yet been turned, it isn't that I feel like competitively better off or anything like that. It's that the feeling of seeing something that maybe it was the first time it was seen. It's almost like a a feeling of discovery more than anything. It's kind of like a curiosity. You know what I mean? Because if you're learning from what other people have done, there's huge value in that. It's incredibly important. But if you're learning from what other people have done, that discovery feeling isn't as strong as if you felt like right. you were the one who turned the stone over in the first place. Yeah, and it's that's a different like having like a
1: unique thought. And again, this is this is relative and it can be it can be a way that you're interacting with information or process that doesn't have right. to necessarily mean you're the first person to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. A Um, sense of uniqueness. I guess that rather than being best or first, I would say an overall sense of uniqueness is is what feels good. Yeah.
1: Interesting. While still being able to reach, I think you had said something about like the idea of, yeah, reaching the edge of an industry, realizing that like with the automotive industry, like that is a very long trajectory. And as Mm -hmm. a sole craftsman or designer, you may never, you individually may never reach that because right, you're sent right. like inside of that profession. For the most part, you're working inside of a team. Mm-hmm. Does that come into play as well? Do you think like, is it, yeah, the, is it I, like I mean, individualism as individualism it relates to reaching the edge? Cause it's a very different thing. Like if you're working for Tesla, you're reaching the edge, you're reaching it as a team. And probably Mm -hmm. will continue to push past, but, but I would like almost argue that that might be a different personality type or a different drive. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think in a team, there'd be a similar sensation. I, I honestly can say I haven't worked in teams like that, like very much at all. So I can't speak really well to that, but I guess what occurred to me at that point was that once I could see the edge for the first time, nothing else seemed to matter to me Mm. except moving towards it and so it was like rather than ignoring it and moving further down the trajectory of like the i don't want to say status quo because that sounds negative but like moving along the trajectory of like you're going to learn these given things and then you're going to apply them later down the road maybe a decade down the road and maybe you'll get to the edge like with the hope of one day finding the edge once i saw the edge in front of me all of that seemed moot all that seemed like not like a waste of time if i see it already like that's the direction i want to go if that makes sense interesting
1: yeah it'll be curious because our inputs and drives change over the years um Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see like how that thought process like if you maintain it in a decade Mm -hmm. like that's right and, and i'm sure it changes somehow but I mean, for me, like the idea of flow did not originate in any way with knife making. I think Mm -hmm. I I came to the realization that it was an important component Mm
0: -hmm. as
1: I got older. Mm -hmm. Um, So like the easiest, I'm going to actually look up like a definition um, just because it'll put it in mm-hmm. more systemic way than I will. State. Yeah. Um, so ultimately flow is a state of mind in which a person becomes fully immersed in an activity. So that's like a really easy, like short version of it. Um, mm-hmm. where I first encountered it was probably kickboxing. Uh, I remember a teacher talking about being in state and you're like, Oh yeah, you're like in the ring. You are nowhere else. You mm-hmm. physically cannot be, your mind can't be anywhere else or like you're just going to, you're going to get hurt, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I remember that feeling of this hyper-focused, fully present, um, in the moment, just sensation
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how intriguing that is because normally like our brains are not wired to run that way. We're all over the place. You're thinking 50 different things all the time. Mm -hmm. As I kind of experienced it in different elements of my life, I realized that I created it. And I think that initially I assumed that there had to be an inherent level of risk for me to engage that part of my brain. So like mm-hmm. um, I was really big into BMX when I was a kid. That's like a prime example. Um as I got older, I got into motorcycles. Motorcycles, I think, were the one where it really set because it was life or death in you're either present or you die. Like there's no right. middle ground. Yeah. You can't be thinking about something else. I mean, even like kickboxing, like you might get hit, but it's not, you're not looking at catastrophic failure. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this all leading into the idea of where I found flow in my work and where I'm still trying to find it. And generally it is a point of work Where I am solving a problem, but I'm on a trajectory that is, that is allowing me to just be involved in the work.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's like a, like a sense of kind of immersive hyper focus.
1: Yeah. I would say like nothing else is going on around you're, you're not paying in the zone. Yeah. You're in the, yeah. Tons of different words to describe it. Right. Like in the zone, definitely Mm -hmm. this, I think the same thought process. Um, but yeah, it's just this, this hyper-focused element of work that is, man, it is so satisfying and Mm -hmm. like very addictive because it doesn't come with all forms of work. Mm -hmm. Um, at least initially, Right. I think that if you relate flow state to mindfulness practices, I think that you can achieve flow much more often in menial tasks. And so right. running a business, like I'm not always getting to do exactly what I want to do at the most interesting level of that project. Right. For me, still being able to achieve flow state means that I enjoy mm. my work more. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that my work is better for me overall.
0: Fulfilling. Yeah.
1: It's fulfilling, right? Which is what
0: so we want. Exactly. No, I, I, I can relate to that. I, I can, I definitely agree. We're coming from different angles and that I haven't described that as like a pillar of what I'm trying to do, but right. it, it's an experience I've had from time to time that the addiction factor right. is so massive that it becomes something you pursue, you know?
1: Right. It's, in and it's, and state. it's a difficult one in a way because like you and I have talked a little bit about having, we both have small kids at home right now working, you know, in my twenties, no children unmarried. I could allow myself to reach that type of workflow consistently over long stretches of time. Like if I want to work 16 hours a day, like it didn't matter. The exercise at this point is essentially how can I honor that process and engage that type of like, again, flow, right? While having my time broken up by n- not only obligations, but things that I, that I also want to value, right? Like spending time with my yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, but the two things they don't like, they don't necessarily parallel. So it's, de- it's definitely right. a, a learning process at this point.
0: Oh, hundred percent. So a, a phrase I've heard that I'm wondering if it overlaps or if it's like a synonym to what you're saying, tell me if this sounds like it. So I've heard someone uh describe the zone of proximal development. Have you heard that before?
1: The zone of proximal development.
0: Yeah, I have, I know, I
1: kind of know the overarching concept of it.
0: Yeah. I guess I've, I guess I've heard it defined of like, that zone you're describing or maybe you're describing is like when you're in a state where you you've gone past your abilities enough to feel like you're learning. Right. But not so far that you're losing control. Right. And so it's like that your abilities plus 10%. Right. That's what you're attempting to do. And that's like the zone of proximal development and where your brain like becomes hyper-focused. Maybe it's not the same exact thing. Uh, Yeah. I think
1: it's different because that is, that would, it's almost like if you're a race car driver or something like you have, you have a, a speed range that you can safely operate in Mm -hmm. based on your skill. That is going to be exponentially greater than an average driver. Right. Mm -hmm. So you at 90 is like a normal driver at 50, maybe just like, you know, roughly something like that. Yeah. I think the idea of the the what is what is the term again, the proximal
0: uh, the zone of proximal development. Zone
1: of proximal development. I think I think it is relating towards like pushing the skill set past mm-hmm. um, which yeah, I think I think is re- it's related, but I think it's that's more of an awareness of like your own personal limits. As you progress past them,
0: right, right? yeah, and i can I can see now, as you're describing it like a difference in that you, the flow state you're describing doesn't necessarily entail being beyond your skill set or exactly necessarily, yeah, expanding that. yeah, that I, I could see an overlap, but they're definitely different.
1: Well, I think where I came at it originally, like this level of inherent risk, I thought it was the risk that was creating the focus and the flow, mm-hmm. which I, I think it's like a mechanical switch. When that exists, you have to be present.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For me, the really interesting component of it is being able to create it in situations that are not inherently you know, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different thing. And I and see. I mean, as, as we get older and like our, our activities and kind of priorities change, like my goal at this point is to not put myself in some type of, you know, dangerous situation
0: routinely. Yeah. Precariousness yeah, as a matter exactly. of habit. <laughs> and
1: if it is, I mean, most of these things are calculated risk anyway, mm. but yeah. I don't know. I just, as you were dis- uh, like kind of describing that process, I realized it's like, it was so not, maybe not alien, but it, but I can honestly say it was, ne- it like never presented itself to me as like an option.
0: Well, and to me, it's almost feels like getting to the edge is a conscious decision and a conscious process. And flow state is a more subconscious operation. Does that seem possible? Like maybe yeah, consciousness can it, does. Can and it might also trigger be- flow state.
1: Right. I think, yeah. I think I wouldn't necessarily say subconscious. I think that it is something that we can create. We can make it, we mm-hmm. can make the decision to strive for it. Uh-huh. If there, if you find value in it. So in that way, I would say like maybe the first time people experience it, it's subconscious.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you know how I know I'm in when I'm in flow state. When I forget to eat
1: prime example, (laughs) that's a great one, right? Like you lose track of time. Mm -hmm. You are not paying attention to hunger, um, temperature, discomfort. There's like a whole range of things that can, they basically
0: disappear. It almost becomes like a meditative state. Not that That, I know much about meditating, but but it feels like that. I
1: think that in, I think that is very, very close to the mark. So if we look Uh at, we spend X amount of time working. If you can spend the majority of that time or a portion of that time, fully present, fully engaged, to me, that's invaluable.
0: It is. Do you have, do you have tools or can you, can you walk through like a process of initiating this? I'm really,
1: I'm really still, I'm really still figuring out how to kind of engage it. Um, I guess for me, most of it comes back to mindfulness. So, I'm 20 years into my craft, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. tasks that I can do while listening to an audiobook kind of halfway present and like legitimate muscle memory is able to do 90% of like the work. Mm-hmm. If I can stay present in that work, um, And that usually, I mean, it is a, it's a meditative process, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's essentially watching your breathing, watching the work that you're doing, feeling, maybe I'm grinding blades. Like maybe it's just like noticing the sensations in my hands, noticing like the, the sound or the harmonics of the grinder. Um, And just as I start to kind of get distracted and like, think about like, what we're doing for dinner, like bringing myself back into that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is, I think from an exercise standpoint, that really helps,
0: mm-hmm. but it, but at this Kinda point, catch, yeah. Catching the wandering mind's eye. A yeah, little bit, like exactly. And it. like, no, no, yeah.
1: like I'm here right now. And I think, mm-hmm. I think part of it too is the desire to want to be fulfilled by my work. Um, and realizing that not all of the work that I do is inherently fulfilling from like a growth or development standpoint. Like nobody tells mm-hmm. you that, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, we make things with our hands. We love the products that we make. But there is a point where you've done something so many times that, at least for me, like some of that luster kind of fades.
0: Mm-hmm. So let, let me explain like a little thing that I stumbled into and see how this fits into your, to the picture okay. that you're describing. So as you mentioned audiobooks. so I, I found that like, I do find a flow state when I'm problem solving, like you just mentioned, and problem solving may be like one of the strongest factors for me to enter that. And it's, it's when it becomes, you know, addictive and everything fades away. Time is erased by all accounts in my mind. Uh, But I found that like, if I go into a project, like for example, I was stoning blades and I got way behind on it because I was doing other things and my machine mills the bevels and then I stone them. And if I stone them relatively at the rate that the machine is going and then mix it in with other work, like then it doesn't seem like a big project. But this time I didn't stone any of them until they were all machined. And so I had to sit down, you know, like pull my big boy pants up and like just stone them all. Like I just had to sit. And I knew it was going to be basically two solid days of stoning. And I was like, I, what I, what I kind of discovered, and I've kind of fallen towards this recently is that I do have this need to almost to be learning, to expanding like my knowledge or to be exploring. And if I don't feel like that's happening in my work, if I put, like, I listen to like lecture series about various things, like I'm into war history. So like I listened to a lecture about the civil war that was 20 hours long And I did that while I was stoning. And it felt like in a way I was simulating this like learning process while what I was doing with my hands wasn't necessarily a learning process itself. Right. You're still engaging
1: that part of your brain though.
0: Yeah. Right. So, and that is, was able to make time disappear. Right. By the learning process taking place, listening. And then it made it feel like these two days of stoning were like was nothing it like the day would end on the second day. And I was actually kind of bummed cause I was like, now I got to, you know, there's, turn.
1: there's also satisfaction in repetitive process. Like I always talk about the bandsaw as being mm. one of those, um, for the inefficiency of, of like, you know, compared to like water jet or like laser cutting blanks, there is something that is incredibly satisfying and like almost peaceful. About bandsawing blanks, mm. I think part of that is because the the speed and the repetition at the way, like the that it progresses at, like you are cutting at a consistent speed. It takes the same amount of time. Like if you're cutting ten blade blanks, it each one is going to take approximately the same time, and It is not a task that is difficult from like a cognitive standpoint, but you still have to be present because it's a bandsaw. Mm -hmm. And that, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the, I guess the beauty of a lot of our work is that regardless of what you're doing, maybe, maybe there is some inherent level of risk. Like you, if you're in the shop, you have to be present. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if it's just like, oh, you've been hunching over a workbench with like bad posture for four hours, like you're better off if you pay attention to that and like adjust your body, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So would you describe like if you're using external inputs Mm -hmm. like that, like it's almost like a simulation of flow state in order to like bridge you through stuff, would you say that's like a pure form of the flow state you're describing or is it a less than perfect in your, in your experience?
1: Uh, you mean, so if I'm trying to engage it, yeah, I would say that I would say it's more difficult because Mm -hmm. I'm, I think that we can all increase the amount of time that we are in flow state. But I think if you are at least at this point where I'm at with it, like for me to engage it is different than to just truly experience it. Mm hmm. Um. Yeah, man, it is really, it's so enticing. Like design work, like sketching, is another one. Like where after a little while, like your the ideas are kind of flowing, and you're, like your hands are warmed up, and you're just there, and like everything is as it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think oh, I yeah. spend I spend a decent amount of my time thinking about progress or what I'm going to do next or like where I want to be or like what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And that's impractical, like it's just purely right. impractical. Like right. if you're doing something like the best place to want to be is there doing that exact right. thing.
0: Right. Um, well, hearing what you're describing, like it makes me want to try to gain that sense, that feeling that I get while listening to an audiobook while doing the work. I think it would be a, an awesome practice to try to gain that feeling without the external input with simply the right. the things I'm doing with my hands and like see if it's how hard it would be for me to do that and how long can I do it and is it something I can extend
1: yeah or or progress like I guess from the I listen to a ton of audiobooks too um mm-hmm. I would say that that is different that is allowing your brain to focus on something That makes what you're doing less monotonous. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a different thing, right? Yeah. But it 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 serves maybe it serves the same purpose, which is it allows a simulated version. Yeah, it allows you to stay present. But I mean, like flow, the term itself is descriptive. Like, what do you think of with flow? I mean, it would be like water or air. Yeah. That idea of being swept into a stream or into motion is very different than getting information yeah from audio
0: yeah no i i definitely agree with that because for example if i'm like setting up like let's say i'm building a new fixture i'm going to test a new program i'm trying to do a new something with my cnc or anything else in the shop I can't listen to an audiobook while I do that. Right. And I will say I enter flow state. And so I, I do I think that's probably the purest form of it is when you are problem solving on the tasks that are in front of you. And I I think uh yeah, I keep coming back to the thought that like when, when I'm having external input to like occupy my brain, maybe it's not the pure form that is that is like a goal in a lot of ways. Right.
1: Well, and, and I guess it depends on what the goal is.
0: Yeah. Right. right. Because it's, I think in certain
1: ways it, it is serving a similar, it's serving a similar purpose.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the first time I ever did that, and it wasn't an audio book, but I was, I had a job in high school where we would, I worked for, it was a contractor with the forest service and there was a place that had been logged in the seventies. They clear cut it. Everything grew back at the same height. And if, people that know forestry know that's bad that all the trees are the same height. So it had to be thinned and all the trees are like less than six, inch- six inches in diameter. And I wasn't old enough to run a chainsaw. So I had to stack the little trees right. in burn piles <laughs> for a whole summer. And so I remember thinking like, I got to figure something out. These days feel like they're like 60 hours long each. Right. And I just started like creating problems in my head or like stories or narratives and just like following them and like, almost evaporating my like sense of presence on the task and creating like a, like a, a presence, like a, something going on in my head that was totally isolated. It's like a, yeah, like a simulation again. And that's something I keep finding myself doing. That seems to, for me, it feels more common that I do that, which may be a difference between you and I.
1: Yeah. You and I, I think in general, we're learning, like we have, we have different ways that we approach our work right. and that right. is I, I maybe maybe i take it for granted or like i i assume that other industries are, are different but it mm. with knives like you look at it and you're like we're making knives mm-hmm. our drives are the same but like that couldn't be further from the truth right you know
0: yeah yeah it's a I I have conversation people ask me what I do when I talk about being a knife maker and I can't really talk about it without being philosophical. Right. And I think some people kind of get like blown I don't know like, it's like oh, t- their, their brain kind of goes yeah in weird places when they ask me like knife maker, oh you you probably, you know, hit a hot piece of steel with a hammer on an right. anvil and I'm like, "Well, no." And I go into philosophical conversation and it's like I don't know, I bring philosophy to everything, which is maybe a kind of a weird habit, but yeah, it's, I find myself doing it. And, and these conversations I think are really interesting to me for that reason is, uh, you have the same basis of like what you're doing with your hands and have a different philosophical approach.
1: Right. Uh, Well, I mean, maybe that's like, maybe that's the comparison. I think that why you and I have these conversations on a regular basis is, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if it's, our, our like natural process is one of like curiosity. Um, I would say between us, that's probably like the ties that bind. Yeah. Like we we're kind of seeking, um, and Mm -hmm. we're curious. Um, and I think we both have a tendency to look at things from like a more philosophical standpoint. Um, but I, you know, with this, like, I never know where it's leading. Like right now Mm -hmm. you and I, the way that we're working is very different. Like you're, you are looking at your work from, like you said, kind of a micro production standpoint, you are taking processes that lend themselves to doing efficient work at scale. Mm-hmm. And you're essentially making that function in your shop. Um, I've done that over the years, but I do less of it now. Mm-hmm. Um but it's like an it's just an interesting kind of time period because I'm I'm jumping around between running the CNC or like building stuff completely by hand or doing design work where I'm never even touching a physical product uh, and trying to find essentially my flow process in all of those mm-hmm. right yeah so if you're doing if you're doing a repetitive process, and maybe this is putting too much value on like one concept, like if you're doing a series of knives, and that series becomes a ongoing model, mm-hmm. is it that like are you seeking to find like the borders of that continually? And I guess it would look like the way that your the, your efficiency or your process.
0: So I think when you describe flow state in the way that that you approach it, I think when I'm achieving that is when I'm designing the knife first first and foremost, when I'm setting up CNC operations, when I am making the first handful of knives and working and solving all the problems that are involved in that, which could be months, you know what I mean? Like to get a knife like fully refined the way I would like it to be. And the thing that I discovered is like once... I feel like I'm on good footing where I can just start like actually doing what I would call volumes, albeit small volume. But once I'm in that motion of doing volume, uh, like kind of turning what I've created into like a replicative type task, Mm -hmm. that's where in order to continue my state of motivation is where I would, like I said, describe a desire to like simulate the flow state so that I can remain in it. And so it's like, I'll leave I'll just, I'll do all that work and then leave it, but continue to simulate it for like to contain that fulfillment and to continue to feel fulfilled. Right. And, but for me, I had like the realization that comes to me is like, I love reading books and whatnot, but I, I feel like I just don't have with kids and stuff a lot of time. Right. And so when I've achieved that point of like where it does become monotonous, I actually kind of savor it in some ways because I'm able now to do double time Mm -hmm. to like bring something that I would normally have in like a, a a period of like free time and stack it on top of productivity. And so that, that is like what I like to go for and like what I like to achieve. And it's not something I've done in the past very well. It's like this, this era now where I'm like doing real volume, I've made some like strides in the ability to do that where I don't burn out because if I don't have, creativity and like inspiration happening I my motivation falls to zero like almost instantly and it's been like a trait that's been like toxic to some of my like thing projects in the past sure. Of like as soon as it became monotonous, I couldn't keep doing it like it just be it would just kill it yeah but well and there's like simulative. there's
1: in any profession there's like the people that find the thing they like to do and they will do that for their entire career I've hmm. always been super intrigued by it as it relates to knife making, because I don't, I don't understand. Right. Mm, Like, yeah, I, and I would like to have more of the ability to work in that kind of way. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting. I think looking, what did you say earlier? Um, okay. So the idea that as, as blades were coming out of the CNC and you were stoning them, that's like a super organic process right that's like one mm-hmm. human scalable like this process happens the next process and it and it's happening in kind of real time mm-hmm. the ability of automation, to like bury you in one task is super real. Right. And that's like a Mm -hmm. like a learning, that's like a learning process. So Mm -hmm. I ran like a few hundred parts last week, but those few hundred parts essentially are so that I don't have to run them again for two months.
0: Right. But if
1: I was to, I look at those and go, well, I'm going to finish all of these right now. I mean, I'm instantly burying myself in super monotonous task work. Yeah. And yeah. not not in a healthy way either, like it's mm-hmm. I think a lot of what we do as small shops is balancing orders and operations. Like yeah. if you sit down and you have, you know, if you're hand grinding blades and you're like 300 blades there like absolutely there's people who do that. Mm-hmm. But the trajectory becomes so long before you're reaching like finished product that I think that's like a time killer for a lot of people. So I think that's why you see like, you know, people that are doing custom knives, like they're working in like six knives, 12 knives, 20 knives. But these kind of like these numbers that are kind of human scale where you can see, like I'm working on a little batch of 12 knives right now. Each Mm -hmm. step of those takes a significant amount of time, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If it was five times that amount, like it just, it just outstripped my ability and my timeline to work.
0: Right. And, and I think we're absolutely encircling, like maybe an additional difference between us because I have this little voice in my head that is that if I'm doing something and there's a voice telling me that it is not efficient, like, like, hey, TJ, you're not doing this the efficient way then it's frustrating, it becomes a frustrating factor for me. And so for me, when I go up to more numbers at a time, then I'm able, one of the things that I've looked for is like, how do I kill compound movements? That's like how I've approached it. So like a compound movement would be like you sharpen the blade, then you strop the blade, set it down, pick up another knife, sharpen it, strop it. That's a compound movement because it would be more efficient to sharpen them all and then strop them all. Right. And that's a simple one. Right. And so I like try to isolate everything to where nothing is compound. Everything is like a, a single task, yeah. which is to me is very different than what most people do. Yeah. You're way more but, efficient
1: in your process well, than I am,
0: but I could not do it without this idea of simulating flow state at the same time. Because mm-hmm. what I've also discovered is if I'm doing a compound movement, even if it's simple, it kills the ability for me to double task or to like, also consume other content like a book because if it's a compound movement then there's an error that's accessible like i can accidentally forget to strop one or strop the the same side twice or not you know what i mean like right, there's right. It, it, like the less conscious it is then the easier it is for me to multitask if right. that makes sense yeah
1: it's gross motor and if you're only yeah. doing one task at a time versus okay i'm gonna i'm gonna you know grind the I'm going to sharpen then I'm going to strop then I'm going to take this knife over and put it in this box or or clean it and then walk back over you're also increasing the amount of steps where you can be distracted by something else mm-hmm. um so yeah I think that like I think that also plays there's there's also work types that are just more efficient to batch like so I have done what I consider like batching queue. So Mm -hmm. I will batch CNC work until I have like a number, like five knives ready to go. Mm -hmm. Then I start to like, I'll work on those knives for a while together. And then towards the end, I might just be working on one knife. Like there's a point Mm -hmm. of finish work where with my working methods, it doesn't make sense to be doing a whole bunch at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, I think that like you and I talk a lot about this, like I'm trying to bring in elements of the way that you work, but I'm fighting like muscle memory of just years of doing everything like the way that I do it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my, so the shop that I grew up in around my dad, he makes saddles and he would be the polar opposite. Cause he, he takes a saddle tree, which is like the wood part of the saddle puts it on the stand and he doesn't start another saddle until that saddle shipped. So it's like, there is, That's, everything is compound. Um, yeah. and so I, I had a conversation with him like a week ago and I said, like I, I told him to get the same Bluetooth headphones that I had noise canceling. And I was like, Oh, how many audio books do you listen to every week? You know, just cause he's a reader, fanatic reader. And he, he told me, he's like, I can't do it very much. Like I can't, it's too compound right. what he's doing. Because he's solving
1: and, uh, problems. That's yeah. with audiobooks for me. That's where the line is drawn. So I can't, I can't do CAD because I can't I can either focus on what I'm doing or what I'm listening to. Actually, mm-hmm. I've got a question around that for you. I can't do anything involving numbers. So like I can't, if I'm like setting up the CNC machine and like doing offsets or something, I can't have audio on in the background. Those I can listen to music. And I usually li- like when I do design work, I listen to like kind of a the ideal is like a droning kind of electronic. Like I want something mm-hmm. that is rhythmic and actually repetitive because it allows me to stay kind of in process longer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You are so CAD fluent. Can you do CAD and listen to an audiobook? No. You still can't,
0: even no. though it's if,
1: so native language to you.
0: If I'll say this, because in cad i'm i don't do very much designing prior to cad right cad is the design like right. i don't really sketch that much on the knife before i put it in cad so in the cad world i am designing and the and the cad is only the medium right. for doing so if like i've done like freelance cad work for like other people where they give me like a blueprint and they're just like hey my client wants to you know just needs this as a solid model i can absolutely listen to an audiobook and model And it's something existing.
1: Right. Because you're sculpting. That's the, that's the, so yeah, I can grind blades. I can shape handles. I can do complex tasks. So that is the comparison. If you're actually solving the problem of a new design, you can't, if Mm -hmm. you are just sculpting, essentially you can, or whereas I would not be able to do that because my brain is still, so inefficient with CAD that I'm having to essentially solve each little problem of the way that I'm constructing right. something.
0: Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah, that it's, it, it's like I have a certain amount of bandwidth and I used to hate when I was doing something that requires low bandwidth mm-hmm. used to be unbearable, like unbelievably difficult, but, the multitasking thing has made me want to find make me break complex tasks into the most low bandwidth operation it can be to allow for simulated flow state which i guess simulated flow state i guess that's something i never thought about but now i'm starting to think like wow that's that kind of describes me like that kind of is what i've been doing which i never really thought about it
1: almost makes sense because you're looking at it from an, like almost from an efficiency standpoint. And I feel like maybe yeah. I'm looking at it from a more like emotional yeah. standpoint. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're creating the same process. So just going on to audio, I do feel like this is like a little hidden uh, trick of our industry, which is a lot of us listen to a huge amount of audiobooks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you what are your what are your kind of go-to genres?
0: So, I'll listen to lots of podcasts that involve everything, politics or sure. whatever. You know, just general like current times content from podcasts such situation. But from an audiobook standpoint, uh either history like like uh lectures about history or historically context pieces like books that were written historically. Okay. Like I just ris- listened to a uh, George Orwell's 1984 yeah, fantastic. and stuff like that, where it's not a history book, but it's historical, right. Historical way, fiction. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so just anything, you know, like I'm, I'm really into history, man. I, I don't know what it is. The bug bit me of like war history, mainly like world war two uh, or anything. Uh, like I, I have a love, hate relationship with self-help type books sure. with like, like finding you know there's a million different types of books that are about like self-improvement i have mixed feelings about them i don't know i haven't been able to really fall in love with them very much but what i do like is stuff like malcolm gladwell's books Mm -hmm. that they're not written in a way that's like this is what you should do and how it will help you it's more of like this is the data of what you know how humans act in these scenarios or this is how like society creates successful people or whatever right and it's like i'm doing i'm the one doing the thinking and i'm just like listening to data yeah that makes I think sense i like i think i like that more yeah. than being like told to this is this is my thought process like adopt it right yeah here's
1: sense. the method of how you can be more efficient versus yeah. like here are techniques that humans use yeah to, for efficiency and i think yeah. that lends to like your curious nature because you can look at that and like you, you pick and choose like mm. what works for you. I always looked yeah. at martial arts that way. Like I was never dogmatic. Like I did kickboxing. I did Kali. I did Systema. And for me, like, I just looked at it and I'm like, it's just movement. Like it's your body. Mm-hmm. My body yeah. moves in a way. I want to understand how to move it differently. Like Systema mm-hmm. and kickboxing are like very, very different. Yeah, they all plug into your brain and allow you to kind of figure out processes that work. And I think, I think a lot of like the more beneficial self help books are kind of doing that. It's like you take what works and you leave the rest Mm -hmm. as opposed to Mm -hmm. like, yeah, some very like scripted, like do this, this and this step and you'll, yeah you'll achieve. I love, I love self help books, but it's that same thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, generally from a curiosity standpoint, you know, of, mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, maybe I'm just trying to solve my own problems constantly. No, no.
0: I, I think, I think the, I, I get a lot from books like that a lot, but the, I think the only thing that sours me is oftentimes they have like a forward that basically is saying throw out everything else. This is the way Yeah, I hate that. And it's like, it's not that the things they're saying aren't valid. It's just like it. I, I I taste arrogance a lot of the times when I read those books and not always it's not, I hate to make a blanket statement, but like,
1: but, but that's essentially a comment to marketing in general. Like I have a really hard time on like the business side of our business. Like you'll never see me saying like, this is the ultimate, this is the best. Like I just, I prefer like a more kind of like anti-hero I let my customers figure out like what it means Mm -hmm. to them. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Like, yeah. Show them, show them the data. Yeah. Show them results. Yeah.
1: Show them, show them the results or like, uh, you know, people always ask me to like describe designs and like, who's this for? And like, what's it for? And I'm like, I'm designing this like for me, like I'm just making a knife. Mm -hmm. I don't always have Mm -hmm. like, it's, there's not a sales pitch behind it. And I think that like sometimes with the self-help stuff, (laughs) And I, and maybe like self-help is too broad of a, of a spectrum. Um, but like they, they, they come at it from like, they need a sales pitch. Right. As opposed to being like, yeah, you know, here's why your brain's not working right. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and they, they often prescribe, it's almost like a prescription type feel to it. And it's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it kind of reminds me of like the infomercials where it goes to black and white <laughs> and it shows a person like dropping everything, yeah. like they're trying to get Tupperware out and it like falls on their head or something, oh, and I'm like, it, it's like they want to paint a picture that is like really, like the reason you're bankrupt and you're losing your house is this, like, right? If you do this, you'll be a millionaire tomorrow. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, probably. Not. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm, like,
1: I'm it, as we've been talking like. I kind of in the back of my head, keep going to this, the idea of like, what does it look like for me? If I try to reach the, like reach for the edge, the perimeter, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to try to integrate it and like at least experience it because yeah, maybe it's, a maybe it's also a time thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I'm super intrigued by it. I think that you, you experience flow state in your process by default. I don't think that my process incorporates like the edge.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's just like as a yeah, thought and-
1: exercise, I want to try it and like, see like what comes out.
0: Yeah. Th- yeah, totally. And I, I almost view the getting to the edge partly as like, it almost borders on the like career motivation and business model side of the conversation not not necessarily just like a state of conscious existence more of like a like to find success this is one thing that can help enlighten the path because if because if you're if you're not following necessarily on one of these long paths you can the the areas of discovery occur more frequently and that's how you define success if that makes sense and if i'm if i'm sounding like a self-help uh, yeah. Self-help author, <laughs> call me out in the comments. <laughs> <But> <laughs> My book will be out in six months. Right. I'm
1: gonna, I'm actually gonna rewind it a little bit because I realize, man, there's so many different interactions like with what we do from the standpoint of like we're craftsmen, but we like I look at it and, like we have our brand, right? I guess in certain ways. I ha- I have tried to push to the edge of our industry with the way that I run aspects of my business. Mm-hmm. Um that as soon as I had that kind of just little thought, I realized that like I do know what that feels like.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: it but it's it doesn't come into the area where like the obvious side of work is, which is like oh knife maker, knife designer. Mm-hmm. It is funny like a a weird one that popped up recently was um one of my designs with crkt made it into huckberry Mm -hmm. that feels like it's like this it was it happened around a conversation there was a goal huckberry is not like a brand that is in our industry
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it's related though and so Mm -hmm. from a from like a community standpoint, it actually is reaching the edge because all of a sudden, yeah, like, you know, friends, cousins are like, Hey, don't do you know that guy, Lucas? And you're like, You have zero interest in knives. Like you're reaching the edge of yeah. like this border.
0: As an onlooker, from what you're doing, like I think you've been a industry leader in getting to the edge from a marketing and brand presence right. standpoint, which is like we said earlier, it's another level that's different than necessarily like the the knife design like inventing some patentable something or other right like it's 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 a getting to the edge of what the brand looks like from from the outside you know what i mean like a uniqueness to it that's and i interesting. guess i guess i would re- regress real quick like the get to the edge framing i think when i say that like i think the people that i would most like to uh, to to share that with is like there's you know young people and myself included is like, there's this point in your life where like your compass is spinning, like the direction that you want to go seems like it changes on a daily basis. Like, you know, people are just coming out of high school or whatever, like just haven't found like they're super motivated, hardworking, but which direction? Yeah. Almost like go?
1: too many options or not enough options. It, yeah. like Either one can create that spin.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think that there's this kind of sense that it's like, Just follow if your compass is spinning, there's like society would tell you, follow one of these long fingers of human knowledge and just keep following it. Mm -hmm. And like, that'll be how you guide your compass. And I guess how I would describe it is like, don't spin, don't point your compass like artificially towards where people have already gone because it's spinning and you don't know where to point it. Like rather aim where there's, where there's a gap.
1: Right. Where's, Does that make it's, sense? It's the less traveled path.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And and there's a lot of ways to, to describe that. But I think once you've arrived at a place where you feel like you're on the edge, like then your compass starts to become secure in the right direction and you have motivation and drive. And so the conversation for me about getting to the edge, like it doesn't apply to my day to day or even like month to month or year to year. Understood. But for me to find what to do with myself at that young, like formative age getting to the edge was like how I straightened my compass out in that like young age of like, just spinning my head around. Right. You know, and, and if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't, you know, thought about getting to the edge, I would have stayed in a direction that just like society was kind of establishing for me of like engineering school, get your engineering, you know, degree, get your engineering first job. And then, you know, like, it's like society wants to point you that direction because it's like a known quantity, but right. The edge is is just, we are
1: now you're really bordering on like (laughs) self-help. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, that's the fun thing about these conversations. Like a lot of times I think we're putting, we're putting these terms in place to kind of help us make sense of our own drive and goals. Mm Um. Yeah, man, it is, I guess, I guess that makes a, (laughs) makes a difference because, I mean, if you look at just the knife industry in general, it is, it's a non-traditional career path, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but like, it's a fully viable one. How Mm -hmm. many other parallels to the knife industry are there where it's like, it's not 180 degrees from like the path traveled. It's like 10 degrees off from that. We're like, this is mm-hmm. the trajectory you're on. These are the skills you have. This is what, maybe what you're going into school for. What is the unique opportunity that is just like one side street up?
0: Yeah, totally. And, and I think, I think I'm, I'm risking, <laughs> kind of a, a weird d- diversion but like i i got the sense i i loved college i felt like i was pretty good at it i didn't dislike it at all but it seems like academia is really good at creating blind spots on people for th- those valleys where they could possibly go find success
1: sure i could see that
0: and it, it felt to me like when i decided to depart i mean i literally dropped out of school and just did that and i was like well and people didn't understand exactly why I was doing it. And I was like, well, the reason I'm in academia is so I can get to the edge. And yes, I found the edge already. So why would I continue in school? And it seemed like a lot of people couldn't, didn't understand what I meant by that, I guess. And it, right. it seemed like why, it just seemed weird that academia wanted me to go in a direction in that was a known, away in a from. Known. Yeah, it's probably a whole of,
1: different podcast. Yeah. Um, what yeah. did your dad think when you did that?
0: Uh, My dad went to Boise State University. He went for three semesters, dropped out. I went to Boise State for four semesters, dropped out. So I beat him.
1: I went to the university, (laughs) no, CNM, Central New Mexico College, um, for one semester. Man.
0: (laughs) So I, so get this, my dad, he, he went off and, and did his own thing. And well, he, he actually became like a river guide, a uh, hunting guide, like kind of spent uh-huh. kind of like a vagrant couple years. And then he decided to be a saddle maker. He was in like a hunting camp and he's like, I'm going to be a saddle maker. And he just looks up, where do I go to become a saddle maker? And Spokane community college had a two year saddle making degree. Oh, so wow. he went to Spokane community college and spent two years making saddles. And boom, he was a saddle maker. <laughs> Man,
1: vocational schools yeah. are so cool. We've talked yeah. about this. Like, I went through welding school. It was, it just opened a doorway for me mm. for understanding. Like, I left with a skill set. I only mm. worked in the welding industry for a year or two. Um, but around that time, I remember looking at a few different schools. Like, I looked at a school for bicycle mechanics. I looked at gunsmithing school, which was up in like Trinidad, Colorado. Like there was just some, like some parallels and I ended up, you know, knife making, which I didn't go to school for, but kind of, I guess a lot of the thought process or like goals were still in that. I don't know. Kind of work, kind of working with my hands, but like it would be, it would be a disservice to like, my business over the last 20 years to like tie it all into working with my hands because, yeah, it hasn't been like mm-hmm. it's just been yeah. a constant experiment in making and branding and marketing and like networking and building community. Like, there's so many little pieces. I think, I think if mm-hmm. like for my boys, if I can have any. Input on them as far as like trajectory, it would be like that. It would be like give yourself the ability to do a career where it can change with you as you mm-hmm. kind of progress yeah, through your life. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. 100%. Different things
1: at different times.
0: So, as as we talked about earlier, like you can probably hear it in our voices. We're both kind of like racking our brains over these concepts, like right in front of you. <laughs> But one of the things I kind of am thinking is like being on the edge or get moving towards the edge while employing flow state principles. Right. To me is like that's sounds
1: that's pretty the good. Goal. Yeah. I mean that makes like that makes a decent nine to five.
0: Yeah, it's like <laughs> you got a you got a method and a direction.
1: Right. A oh, you know? method and direction.
0: Uh, magnitude and a direction. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm glad I, I'm glad I was able to understand and flesh out like, cause when we first started it, that when you described this to me before, the zone of proximal development was something I'd heard before you talked about flow state. And that's what I was picturing, which sounds a lot more like being on the edge because that's kind of what Mm -hmm. it is from a personal standpoint, which is why at the end of this, I almost wondered if we would arrive pretty close together, but now, it doesn't seem like that's the case. It's like just a different. It's just a different yeah. process. Mm.
1: You know, I, that's one of the things I value about these conversations. Is I think it just opens. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. It, as soon as you have interaction with a thought process, or like from a from a handcraft standpoint, like a technique, or or from CNC, as soon as you see something, you can start to integrate it. And the more parallel kind of information you have, the easier that becomes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You have to have a starting point. So yeah, it's just like, here we are. Like I'm 20 years in and I just kind of learned about a concept that had never presented itself to me. How cool
0: is that? Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's exciting times. This, uh, this podcast I'm looking forward to a lot because yeah, yeah, talking on the phone when I'm looking at knives that need stoned is like <laughs> sometimes that like, well, I mean, you and I'd be on the phone an hour, hour and a half, like just randomly. And and now like actually putting like a focus and an attention to it is, is of great value. So I yeah, hope being I able hope to put it, also put it on a calendar and yeah.
1: like have it, t- you know, cause then you're like, you're kind of stocking up stuff to talk about in the back. I'm mm. really curious to see if other people like it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, yeah, we hope you guys like it.
0: Yeah. Let us know if, if there's you anything
1: hit, you want to. If you guys have questions or like, we should do like a Q and A at some point.
0: Yeah. Which yeah, that brings us to uh, yeah that, that conversation we had earlier. We would love to see as many questions as you guys can muster in the comments section. Uh, I think this is a thread we want to kind of continue because we do want to have like an inter- interactive aspect to what we're doing here. We also and just so, want to have stuff to talk about that's interesting. It, so exactly. <laughs> Yeah, f- feed, us, uh, feed us some information that, that we can uh, babble about, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah, actually, yeah. that's a great ask.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, everybody, uh, getting to the edge and achieving flow state when mixed together <laughs> becomes Edge and Flow Podcast. There you go. So here we are. We hope you guys stick with us. More to come. More to come. Take it easy, guys. Be well. Have a good one.